And let's say someone, since they go five years and they're always leaving two, three reps in reserve. And then for the next two years, they, they, they train with Leroy, um, during the eighth training partner. Oh yeah. Um, you yeah. know, right. And they learn, Oh shit. I wasn't even scratching the surface of what I'm capable of. Yeah. Okay. They do that. They make progress. And they're like, okay, but this is just killing me. So after those two years, that person says, well, you know, I'm going to go back to what I, what I, what worked. I'm now stronger. I think I can keep these loads in place. It's going to ensure pretty much that I'm going to keep this muscle and they can go back to doing training with two or three reps in reserve. But now they reset their, their psychology because they trained with Leroy for two years. Yeah. Now two or three reps in reserve may have been what, what training to failure was to them previously. What's up, guys? Welcome back to Muscle Minds with Scott Stevenson. I'm Scott McNally, and all of our programming is brought to you by True Nutrition. You can use our code THINK for additional savings on high-quality third-party tested supplements. They basically have everything you need. I've been um, loving their creatine lately. It's like the old-school forgotten supplement that is getting me freaking pumped. I highly suggest that. Let me know if you have any questions about any of their products. We're also brought to you by byobbcoach.com. That's Scott's book, Be Your Own Bodybuilding Coach. It literally will take you through your off-season, through your prep, all the way up to your contest day, and your rebound. So check that out. You can do it really all yourself if you want to be your own bodybuilding coach. And thank you to everybody from Patreon. You guys are freaking awesome. I appreciate you helping us to make this thing happen. And if you're in Canada, check out supplementsource.ca. They've got great deals that change week to week. They support what we're doing. We support them. Today, we're going to talk about effective reps. It's something we talked about a couple of years ago, and it's it's more or less been in our conversation ever since, but I thought it would be great to revisit because we have a lot more followers than the last time we had this conversation, and when you understand effective reps, it literally will change the way you do your sets, and it really points out the value and the importance of going to failure when you're an advanced lifter. Where do we start with this, Scott? That's a very good question. Where do we start? <laughs> um, I was just thinking there's so many little rabbit holes we can go down um, individually, and this is maybe follow questions that you have, or maybe something pops up from one of the listeners when we start digging into this, but okay. probably should first kind of define the idea. And the premise is that only those reps nearing the end of a set that's, that's approaching failure being taken to failure are the ones that are going to be effective for stimulating muscle growth. Um, the best sort of single piece of evidence kind of pointing to this idea that, and this, and this is connected with Fatigue and metabolic stress being important for muscle growth, meaning that you'd need to produce some metabolic stress. It being thought of as at least a surrogate marker, if not a direct stimulus for what turns on muscle hypertrophy. And the best um, study I know is it's, God, it's an old one. It's, I've got it in my fortitude book, fortitude training book um, by Goto. They've done a lot of cool stuff. And they basically compared sets of 10 rep max with sets of 10, none normally just right up to the failure point and sets of 10 with this equivalent loads interspersing a 30 second rest interval between the, the set. So you do five with the load and then you rest 30 seconds and do five more. This wasn't like a DC style rest pause training and that was all they did. So it wasn't like a muscle round where you do a set of four and you rest five, take five breaths, rest 10 seconds, do a set of four until you go to failure. This was just five and then five and then you're done. Okay. So, the load was equivalent, right? The volume was equivalent, but you didn't have, they had that fatigue recovery that was happening mid-set. 
So you're never getting to those quote unquote effective reps, the ones that are difficult, the ones that are hard. Hmm. Um, so that that's the idea is that you have to train hard. You know, we can go back to this kind of general, generally mis, um, sort of misrepresented idea of general adaptation. So now we need to produce a stimulus that is unique in order to bring on the adaptations. Um, that's connected with, of course, progressive overload. So if you keep on training or keep on doing something that isn't stressful, there's no stimulus for novel adaptation. So if you keep on training outside of the effective rep range, sometimes that's considered like five reps shy of failure. Mm-hmm. Of course, that doesn't make sense. Like if you're doing a set of 10 rep max and you're stopping five reps shy of failure, it doesn't mean if you do six, a six, reps, do six rep sets with a 10 rep max load. That's not going to get you much. Maybe if you're a brand new beginner, yes. So the effective reps idea is that only the set, only the repetitions, five or less close to the end of a set taken to failure, are going to be the ones that are truly effective producing for producing muscle growth. Um, and this is what I think prompted this, as we we mentioned, um, uh, Steele's group did a meta analysis looking at self selected loads. Um, and found that people are generally, I think the number on average between trained and untrained individuals is like 53% of a one rep max is what people are training at. Almost regardless, there's very little variation depending on how what you ask them to choose in terms of the, the reps they should get in that set. Hmm. Um, so people tend to select lighter loads. People, you think, hey, you know, I'm training with, if you look at the prediction equations, 80% of a one rep max on a big compound lift, like a squat or a bench press or deadlift, um, that's going to give you like eight reps. Okay. The failure, right? Okay. Um, so 53% should be like a, you know, a 30 rep yeah. set or something like that. Yeah. Um, but you don't see people doing 30 rep sets, especially not to failure. And what we know from various studies is that people are atrocious at, figuring out what their reps and reserve reserve are. Yeah. So this is like big picture stuff. So one of the big sort of um, things to consider when evaluating effective reps is where, how far are you able to act and willing to train um, in terms of proximity to true voluntary muscular failure um, set after set during your working sets. So, um, if someone really is highly motivated, they've got, they've got literally their life's on the line, their, their family fortune, their sister, their brother, like everyone is, everything's going to be gone. Yeah. If they're being, everyone's being held for ransom. Throats are going to get slit if they don't get 10 reps with this weight. Um, that's highly motivated. Those people might, in that case, you might be able to go, um, to your two, two sets, two reps shy of failure. Um, that might give you, let's say, three effective reps if we believe this five number, okay? okay. But the thing is, most people are going to, for that 10-rep set, they might pick a load that actually is more like a 15-rep max load or an 18-rep max load, mm. depending on how willing they are to train hard, how trained they are. That's a thing that develops. As you know, over time, you and I have talked about this a bunch, you've gotten a lot better at bringing yourself close to that failure point. Your, your training capacity, your, your mental fortitude, so to speak, is, is changed over the years. Sure. Um, so um, 
that's the idea of effective reps. It's based on this idea that it, it, sort of in a blanket sense that you could you know where your failure point is, and then you could train and assume that you accumulate these effective reps. So that's the general idea. Um, the thing is, I, 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 it's absolutely one hundred percent an important conceptual notion to keep in keep in mind. Um, the way it's generally applied is a way to tailor the strength of stimulus. Um, the potency of each set according to your training approach and according to your training volume. So some people, for instance, a, a perfectly valid way to progress over the course of a training cycle would be to gradually reduce your reps in reserve um, as you tend to. And you could even keep weight the same or marginally progress weight and go from three or four reps in reserve to two or three reps in reserve to one or two reps in reserve over the course. And in that way, you're training with a volume you can recover from. You're accumulating these effective reps over time. And you're progressing. You've got a progressive overload feature built into your um, your training regime that's based on your ability to effectively gauge your reps in reserve. Mm. Right? So I think for someone who's honest and who can train really, really hard, and it's training like, you know, um, actually, this didn't really work out for Jordan Peters. I like use him as an example of someone who, you know, trains pretty much as hard as anyone on the planet. Um, for some people, that could be that could be phenomenally effective over the course of time. And if they find it works, then that's great. If someone's a newbie, you know, in those first couple of years, you don't really have to train that hard. They don't. There's no difference between failure training and non-failure training on average for newbies. Um, but the thing also to consider there. And this is, this is where, um, this is kind of a nuance, I think, for people to consider. And this is connected to some interesting, it's connected to the research as well. So if you have someone as a newbie just continuing to train, and they're going to see progression in their loads, you know, no matter what, over the first year or two, as long as they're eating and recovering and not, you know, going out drinking every weekend or what have you, there's going to be some progression. Yeah. Um, and if you're someone, let's say, who doesn't have a natural proclivity to train really, really hard, so mm-hmm. your 10 rep, let's say your 10 to 12 rep sets are actually 15 to 18 rep max loads. Okay. And and you're so you're you're stopping those, let's say, at 10 reps or nine reps initially, and then you're going to 10 reps and then 11 reps over the course of eight nine weeks of training. You're actually you're actually maybe using an 18 rep max load. So you're doing 9, 10, 11 reps with an 18 rep max load. But for you, that's 3, three 2, 1, or 4, 3, and 2 reps in reserve. So you're training with what you sense to be 2, 3, 4 reps in reserve when training on your own voluntarily. We took you into the lab and said, keep going. Yeah. You could get more. Because that's what the science kind of tells us is that people people have many more reps in reserve in many cases. So someone might say, "Okay, well this works great for me. I'm I'm using this reps in reserve strategy. I don't have to really increase my loads terribly. They'll go up on occasion if I'm if I'm paying close enough attention. I'm learning how to autoregulate, and I'm going from four to three to two reps in reserve over the course of you know, every two weeks. I jump a rep in reserve, something like that, right? Okay. Um. But in actuality, you're training, you know, like you're training six, seven, eight reps shy of failure. Yeah. Right. Because you've never really so, learned what that true failure was. 
Right. Yes. And and you're maybe and you're not willing to do that on a regular basis. So you you ascribe your progress to this this auto-regulated reps self-selected reps and reserve notion that you're applying. And some of what's happening is simply the fact that you've got a ceiling effect here. While you're going to grow with pretty much anything, that you, as long as you come in the gym and there's some progression, you've got to continue with stimulus. You're mm-hmm. going to grow from it um, because you're relatively newbie. And I think one thing that's sort of an aside that's important um, is that if you – how – like first impressions are important. How you start off training, if like that's your first two years of training, is always leaving something in the bank. Right, always, and, and and you're very poor at that. That then becomes your typical um, psychological mm. set point, so to speak, for how what hard training should be about. Great point. Because you've hardwired that in yourself. Um, this is just sort of a very generic possibility. Sure. Um, and so that's how you get used to training, and that would explain this this um, meta analysis that found that most people are picking like between 50 and 60% of their, their one rep maximum as a self-selected load. If people are, are knowingly not training to absolute failure um, on a regular basis, and we know that people just typically don't, you just don't see people doing that in the gym. Hmm. So um, reps and reserve, uh, there's a so there's kind of a disconnect between what a true reps and reserve is when you're pushed to actually go to failure mm-hmm. and, you, and you were to do that, in a scenario where you're highly motivated by researchers who maybe are screaming at you or you got a training partner. Um, like a lot of, a lot of guys know a lot of guys train with women because like it brings out the machismo in them. Women can train really, really hard. You know, they don't want to get beaten and they'll go for it and they want to just show they're a badass, right? So there's, there's a motivation there. Um, and it, and Hey, whatever it takes, you know, um, to some degree, you don't want to necessarily tap into things that aren't psychologically healthy all the time. Sure. Um, you know, focusing on hate and rage and that sort of stuff on a regular basis in your training could. I did that for like eight years. That. I did that for like yeah. eight years straight, you know. <laughs> I, yeah, I hear you. I hear you. Yeah. So you kind of like, eh, maybe not the best thing. Not the best thing to, you know, try to impress, focus on how you how much you can impress somebody. But <laughs> when, you, when you're motivated, um, You've got a, you've got something else going on. So you you may be in training people to, to if they're using reps and reserve um, as their which of course you're going to have to in an unmotivated setting. Um, you may be in training people to train way as they tend to do anyway. As we see, they train yeah. way far away from what they're actually capable of doing. Yeah, yeah, that's a so, that's a big problem, man. And I, I wanted to just kind yeah. of so I, the yeah. way I remember it too, as far as effective reps go. You know, that, that, you know, as you said, and I'm just kind of restating some stuff here for clarity and, and also maybe to clarify uh, for any of the audience who hasn't followed along and, and, and to just explore it a little myself. But so, re- excuse me, um, effective reps being these are the reps that actually grow muscle. And when we're new in the gym, uh, that all of our reps are probably effective reps because this is something that we've never done before. Now, the way I remember our conversation in the past going about it was the more trained we are, the fewer of those reps become effective. And maybe 20 years down the road, it really is only that last rep or the last couple reps possibly that could be an effective rep. Framing it that way has motivated me 
to always ensure that I'm getting everything I can out of a set. Because I may, I've gone through, say, all the work to lift a particular weight, get it in place, a dumbbell press, a, a dumbbell row, whatever it is, a pull down, I don't care. But I set up and I've gone through these first seven reps to get to the point where now I tell myself, now the work has begun. This is where mm-hmm. these, I, and I don't, I don't know how many reps in, or how many effective reps I have, but what I know is, is if I go to failure, I'm going to get all of them. You know, maybe it's the last two, maybe it's the last four, you know, maybe it's changed for me since I had gotten sick and took time off at training and came back. Maybe I have more effective reps. I don't, you know, lost some muscle. Maybe I could grow it back more easily. I don't need I need to go as far. But that to me has been a huge motivating factor to go to failure because I recognize that just because I'm moving the weight doesn't mean that I'm growing. You know, I need to get mm-hmm. to a certain point where I'm actually hitting what we could call effective reps, the, the reps that matter. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, a, a newbie, like, they don't get effective reps like the first five reps of a, of a set of 12. Like, if they stop there as a study, the go okay. study I mentioned, like, there's nothing yeah. there. So, okay. um, but some people that could be, like, that, like, literally, I mean, some people grow really well, some people don't. So, yeah, that's exactly the way I've conceptualized it over time is that is that you're going to need to come, your proximity to failure is going to be more important. Now there's some research evidence suggesting that for trained people that can be the case, that training to failure can be advantageous. Um, and if, in order for a set to be something that stimulates growth, you're going to have to have a higher potency of stimulus. Um, it's kind of like, you know, adaptation to, to drugs, to alcohol, to what have you. Hmm. You know, if you once you've got some adaptation to a drug, um, it takes more to get the same high, to get the same effect, the same side effects or what have you. You get some adaptation. Of course, you go too far and then your body starts breaking down. Sure. Um, so we can, you know, I don't want to go down the, not, probably shouldn't go down the, some of these rabbit holes about tension and metabolic stress and that sort of thing. Okay. Um, the thing that is also part of that conceptual model, um, the way I, the way I sort of conceptualize it, this is sort of, lumping together various aspects of the research and then what I've seen personally with clients too. Um, and you see it in examples of people like Dorian Yates is that you have only have so much that you can recover, recover from. Yeah. Right. And, and, and in the research too, when people compare studies, for instance, focusing on eccentric versus concentric, if we believe that tension is the primary driver of muscle growth, um, you get more tension in the amount of muscle that's activated during eccentric contractions. Okay. And eccentric contractions, when you make various comparisons, show to greater protein synthesis is turned on to a greater extent. Um, there's also one study showing that um, tra- training volume in this case was related to the extent of which protein synthesis was turned on, but tra- directly related. So more training volume um, the cross conditions, more protein synthesis when measured after the period of, of um, adaptation to the first bout effect or the repeated bout effect. You get a lot of soreness and a lot of breakdown. Once you get past that, then you have nice relationships generally with protein synthesis that's incurred with each workout. So the stimulus that you bring upon yourself with each workout and the eventual muscle growth you have. But in this particular study, although training volume was, was correlated with protein synthesis, training volume was inversely correlated 
with the growth that happened over the hmm. course of the training regime. And that's because we don't have a, just a single straight linear dose response um, when in terms of what what happens in terms of muscle growth over the long haul. You can, the more is better, some degree, then there's some optimal point and it's varies for everyone. And then if you keep on trying to do too much, then you run into a lesser adaptation. You keep on, you try to train with 40 sets a week, 50 sets a week, 60 sets a week, et cetera. Eventually, you're not going to have any muscle growth, and you'll eventually then have overtraining. You try to do too much. So the thing that makes makes it difficult when we're looking at longitudinal studies, long-term studies, um, comparing failure training to non-failure training. So that's kind of the that's kind of the bottom line. If you want to be sure you got as many effective reps out of a set as you could, you just go to failure. Yeah, that's all you can do. You can't go beyond that. You got them all right. So you might, someone might say, well, shit, then we should see a clear impact of training to failure versus non-training, not training to failure, pretty much in all cases. Um, so if we t- compare 10 sets, all effective reps, training to failure with 10 sets, three reps in reserve, so cutting yourself short, three effective reps, we should see a clear difference in the 10 sets to failure versus 10 sets, and, and that would just be the case. But the problem is, for some people, 10 sets training to failure over the per week in this example might be too much to recover from hmm. right so if you're trying to trying to optimize how drunk you get right <laughs> eventually you're passed out if you drink too much yeah. you don't have a good buzz your buzz is beyond where it needs to be so if you're trying to optimize your muscle growth if you do too many effective reps by doing too many sets taking a failure in this case yeah. Or just too many sets in general, where you're close to your come your proximity to failure is very very close. Then then you're simply doing too much. You may not be technically overtraining, and this is where this where it gets a little bit slippery. Hmm. You can still make progress doing something that's suboptimal. Okay, and it satisfies the body. And this is what I've brought up several times too. It satisfies the tendal, tend, tendency of bodybuilders to want to go with more is better to make sure you, know, you got everything. It's, you know, it just yeah. happened to pop into my head. Um, if you ever pressure washing, you know, pressure washing your house, pressure washing, like at my old house in Tampa, I pressure washed the, once in a while I pressure washed the area by the pool and there was a a paint job there. It was like kind of a pinkish paint and the Uh mold would grow because there's an area where all the water would, would sort of settle and get really moldy. And I, and I have to pressure wash that. And there was always this fine line because I pressure wash enough to get all the shit off there. Then I, the paint would get chipped away. Yeah, right? I knew where you're going with that. Yeah, right? And they just pop in the head as a visual, right? So that's – so I'm getting cleaned, right? I'm like – but yeah. like you get – I was like, oh, I got to get this last bit of mold. And it's like, okay, great. I got that last bit of, you know, yucky nastiness out of there, but I completely eliminated the paint. So what am I left with? Like is this – the huge chip in the paint – Right, because I got obsessive about like getting every last bit. So you go into the gym, you're like, oh, I gotta decimate the muscle. Yeah, I gotta annihilate, not just stimulate, as old Lee Haney used to say. <laughs> um, it's still a great saying, right? Yeah, yeah. And then you end up doing more that's optimal. You can you still clean things off. You still could make you still have a clean a clean um, uh, patio around your around your pool. Yeah, but and you still could make progress that way. But but it could be far from optimal. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's a great analogy, man, and I think we can we can all relate to that. 
both from if we've ever done pressure washing and I think we can all relate to that in in the gym too. So what's what's our remedy yeah. there? How do we how do we walk that line? How do we find out, you know, how to get as close to getting all the 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 mildew off without chipping the paint in the gym, of course. I think that the first step and I mentioned this in a podcast from a couple of weeks ago that I did um, is that I think the, the, the theme of that podcast is what are the things that turn on hypertrophy? It's like, well, you know, you could say you should do this, this, and this, and this. But if it's not something that, that you can sustain over time, it's not a sustainable approach that you enjoy doing, Yeah, it doesn't matter. You'll do it for a few weeks, and then you're like, ah, I'm not doing that. If you don't want to train, maybe DC training for for your lifestyle and the way your body recovers, whatever your adaptive capacities are would be the perfect way to train. But you don't want to train that way. So you just don't. So you have to sort of first figure out what what you'd rather be doing. Would you rather do more sets, accumulate your effective reps? And this is where this, this concept is really phenomenal. Accumulate your effective reps by doing more sets taken um, with more reps in reserve. Mm-hmm. So you do 12 sets with two reps in reserve as opposed to eight sets with zero reps in reserve. That might work just fine for you. If you're doing that, and, and I, I think this is one of the issues, and this is another sort of basic principle I talk about. If you're doing that, the thing that um, may not occur is you may not be stimulating a progressive overload in this sense. Um, so in another big picture, this is the DC training principle, principle of mind too, is if you get brutally strong, assuming mm-hmm. you're doing exercises where you've got a good mind-muscle connection, you're exercising, you know, in the right breath range, et cetera, et cetera. If your performance increases, I'd like to think that form is going to follow function. So if you get, you know, a, become a badass at doing 20 rep squats, you know, and you're working, you got up where you're doing them with four and five pounds, your legs are going to show it. Right. Yeah. And if you keep training, leaving a couple reps in the tank, um, you may not be able to with, with that stimulus, set a stimulus in place where you, after you recover, you come back stronger and you progress. Hmm. In order to do that, you then may need to go to fewer reps in reserve. Um, some of that could be purely neurological. There's an interplay between what's going on in the central nervous system, of course, and the muscle. So ideally, you know, if everything is exactly the same over the course of years of training, your strength in, say you don't get any better at doing the exercises, your activation patterns don't change, you know, everything's neurologically identical. Um, yeah. Your strength gains would come from more muscle mass. Um, but there's also something to say for one, getting a better mind muscle connection, figure out how to, how to connect with the muscles that you're training. Um, but also it's just learning how to train harder and mm. create, evoke that greater training stimulus. Um, and so that you can lift heavier weights eventually over time. Yeah. Um, so if someone is in that situation where they're training with reps and reserve because that's how they want to train, they don't want to bleed every time they do a working set, right? Um, and they're not making progress, the thought, the thing that would would be worth considering, more volume may be a possibility. Okay. Um, you know, it depends on how much they're doing. Yeah. Um, there's a lot of things you can reconfigure. But in the context of effective reps, yeah. the thing that may be worth considering is like you're going to have to train harder – and thereby also do fewer sets, decrease your volume, and see if increasing the potency of each set by doing fewer reps in reserve, having more effective reps per set, hmm. is the remedy for not progressing. 
And from a motor learning standpoint, that may allow you, and, and a psychological standpoint, may allow you to start training, learn what, what hard training is. And let's say someone, say if they go five years and they're always leaving two, three reps in reserve. And then for the next two years, they, they, they train with Leroy, um, Dorian Yates training partner. Oh, yeah. Um, you yeah. know, right? And they learn, oh, shit, I wasn't even scratching the surface of what I'm capable of. Yeah. Okay. They do that. They make progress. And they're like, okay, but this is just killing me. I'm just, you know, wiped out. Like I was, you know, I don't have a wife. I just have the dogs. I took a nap with Suki yesterday afternoon. It was yeah. fine. Right. Yeah. But if you have, if you have familiar obligations, you just can't be destroying yourself and living like a professional <laughs> bodybuilder. Um, if that's not what you're getting paid to do. So after those two years, that person says, well, you know, I'm going to go back to what I, what I, what worked. I'm now stronger. I think I can keep these loads in place. It's going to ensure pretty much that I'm going to keep this muscle and they can go back to doing training with two or three reps in reserve. But now they reset their, their psychology because they trained with Leroy for two years yeah. Now two or three reps in reserve may have been what, what training and failure was to them previously. Absolutely. So that may be something that you could periodize in on occasion and say, okay, I'm going to have huh. to up the ante here because I'm not going where I need to go. I'm going to have to learn how to train harder. And over time, then it's not like, oh, geez, I don't want to do a set to failure. It's like, no, I've done that. Now it's relatively speaking, after having trained a true failure, given all you possibly can, yeah. it's, it's not so much of a psychological stress. And you've readjusted. And we, that happens all the time to us. Like my my leg, my I have neuralgia parasthetica in this left leg, yeah. and it you know it every step, every step, it always hurts. Continues. Oh yeah, um, I'm working on it again. I've, it's been going on for years, but I like and like people with back pain is another example. You know, if if that pain came on without having had a background history of that back pain. Um, those people like, oh my God, they'd be just like, they just want to do nothing, lay in bed and, and moan. But over the course of time, you get used to that. You get adapted to that. And um, you're, you're, you have a psychological set point that gets shifted. Yeah. And that can happen, I think, in training. So you add in that those trainings, like, okay, this is only going to be short lived. I'm going to do a six week training cycle where I'm going to go to um, zero reps in reserve, let's say, not actually to failure. That can be dangerous and, and very inconvenient if you're having to unload and load weights on barbells and that sort of stuff. So I'm going to go to zero reps in reserve and then I'm going to, and then see what happens. And then I'm going to go back and then look at those loads in my, my logbook. Yeah. And, and now literally go to one, two, two, two or three reps in reserve, same relative um, RPE or reps in reserve. But now you've changed your perspective on what failure really means. Um, so that's one strategy. The other strategy is just to include occasional sets that are to failure and that's sort of what i have people doing in out of for practical reasons and and just recovery reasons is only during loading sets from also around not all of your sets are to failure but with loading sets let's say let's say you're, you're doing a, a tier three um thigh loading set regime that's squats knee extensions squats hamstring curls squats okay right so the first two sets of squats aren't taking a failure right one to two reps of reserve didn't have that terminology didn't exist when I wrote the book, but one or two reps in reserve. Because then you don't want to fail on the first one. Then you've got 400, 500 pounds, 300 pounds, whatever. you got to unload and get the bar back up. And there's things are done on a, on a time um, mm. schedule so you can compare performance across the weeks. So you're only taking that last set to failure, right? Um, and what happens, I think, to people over time, and this actually happens within Fortitude Training, is the same psychological resetting, is the pump sets – 
and this is how I like to train in general. This is another thought um, is make the most, and this goes beyond effective reps is you do these pump sets and those can be a shitload of partials. So you can maybe go to where you're zero or one reps in reserve and you're like, okay, I can either do one more rep that might have a three to four second duration Mm -hmm. up and down, or I can squeeze out 12 seconds of partials um, and make it really, really hard. And if, if you, if we trust in this idea that those high effort contractions or high effort where you're activating all the motor units you possibly can, or nearly all of them, at high firing rates um, relative to what your your spinal cord is going to allow because there's a muscle wisdom principle that comes into play here. Um, you then can take those, what would be, let's say it's the last two reps that are effective. And instead of doing three reps, you do two reps, and you take what would be that last rep that would be a three- or four-second effort, you turn that into a 12-second partial effort. Mm. Now you've taken, if we look at the, think of the time under tension, um, notion, which I think makes sense when we're comparing relative effort and relative load. You've now taken three, three, and three with those three reps, so nine to 12 seconds, three to four seconds each, and you turn that into 22 seconds of effective effective contraction time, yeah. effective time under tension. I'm coining that term right here and now, actually. <laughs> effective time effective, under tension. I like it. That, that Yeah, no, seriously, that's, I mean, I'm glad I, I'm surprised I didn't come up with it before. The idea of time under tension and, like, Picking up, it fits really well with this with the effective reps notion because people talk about that in the context of, you know, taking a load and how much time you spend yeah. under while you're contracting. And like the if you do a one minute, the first thirty seconds is easy; it's not doing anything. It's only the high effort periods when you're really having to push. So you may then go back to this scenario: this person doesn't really like to train to failure. You may you may only have the last set on your exercise be a failure point yeah right and then you take that out so you can periodize that or you can do what i like to do is say and it's exactly what you said scott like like i took all the time to put all this weight on this thing you know i might as well get as much effective time under tension as much many effective rests as possible yeah if i'm going to only do a few sets i would rather do instead of doing let's say three sets um a way to kind of do this this fits with how cluster sets work is to do, and it fits exactly with what pump sets are in, in fortitude training, mm-hmm. is you do those sets, and then you, instead of having just a traditional singular repetition, you take that last possible repetition, and you extend that into a tortuous set of partials, mm. right? Yeah. And then you accumulate effective time under tension. I really like that term. It kind of rolls off yeah. the Yeah, it really is. Yeah, it's good. And, and it kind yeah. of, um, you already have the understanding of, of uh the effect i like it it it, yeah it's good it's good Uh, someone's obviously said it at some point somewhere else but i i I hadn't heard it before that i remember um so so that's that's a way to do and that's what's done in those in the pump sets is the idea is to literally and you don't and the nice thing about the pump sets the way i've set them up in fortitude training is you wouldn't do those with squats right yeah um because that's fucking that's part of my french that's brutal to get under the squat bar and oh, think yeah. about doing partials. Like that's just a nervous system. But if you're doing an isolation exercise, extensions like, like or a pec fly or extension yeah. or something like that. Um, and your, your whole, whole idea there is to really connect with as much of a mind muscle connection on the muscle you're trying to train Yeah, and extend this, this um, effective time under tension. So you do those partials at the end. When you find that portion of the range of motion where neurologically 
you've got um you've got a good mind muscle connection uh, with the muscle you're trying to target, and you just you just take the best part of the range of motion, the best part of that exercise, and and milk it for all it's worth. Yeah. Um, and that is what the pump sets are about. And it's nice to do that when you're when you're not under when you don't have the distractions, let's call them, of of having to activate a lot of accessory muscles like muscles like you would with a squat um your lower back isn't about to give out you're not rounding your back at the end of the squat because you're starting to have fatigue there so so i and um, one thing i was yeah. really thinking too so really when we talk about a, a you know effective reps when we talk about reps and when we talk about reps in reserve um mm-hmm. it sounds to me like and, and I guess this is the this is the thing, and I think it was Ron Partlow that said this recently on one of the podcasts that he said his problem with reps and reserve is that so many people aren't training to failure anyway. So I think the real mm-hmm. moral of the story here for me is in order to use reps and reserve, we first need to learn how to go to failure in order to underst- in order to get all of our effective reps, we need to go to failure. I feel like failure training is the foundation and that you know when i was in art school we would we would say you know you can definitely break rules in art but the key is mm-hmm. is to first understand what the rules are you know yeah and and mm-hmm. i think that, and i think that's maybe the big problem with a lot of the a lot of the a lot of the old school guys that have issues with some of the new school ideas and training it's that mm-hmm. there are a lot of people that haven't understood the rules and haven't understood haven't taught themselves like you said i loved that that part scott where you said you know you're you're going to reps and reserve for a period of time your first two years of training then you train with somebody who's really intense you redefine what failure is mm-hmm. then when you go back to reps and reverse reserve it's exact, you know, you, you, you discover that what was once two reps in reserve, you know, now you've got a lot more. That, that was actually five reps or six reps or nine reps in reserve. Yeah. And it's something too. I think to understand failure, it's something that you don't just figure out the first day. It's something that you mm-hmm. keep redefining. So at the same time, if you continually go to failure on everything you do, every workout, you will bury yourself. You know, it just mm-hmm. eventually eventually Mm -hmm. you need some type of a break you know i could see how and like you said in fortitude training and john did that in in his training too not every single set was to absolute Mm -hmm. failure but it was with the understanding that you were at you know there were times that you really were going to absolute failure it was not all all reps Mm -hmm. and reserve so I'm just thinking of the newer guys that are watching this and who have hung this long, 40 minutes in, into the podcast. You know, I guess that would be my, my big take-home point would be first learn how to go to failure before utilizing reps in reserve and reserve and, and get everything you can. Those are, Man, like I said, I'm just going to reiterate too, learning about effective reps, that changed everything for me with training. It gave me such more a sense mm-hmm. of understanding I always went to failure, but it gave me such a better understanding of the value of it, you know, especially being mm-hmm. 20 years plus in, it's like, hey, you know, uh, if I if I put all this work into getting here, then I damn well better get everything I can out of this set, you know? Yeah. Yeah. You said a lot there, man. I mean, again, if you start off doing reps reserve when you're first going to grow like a weed, that may be, you may attribute the reps and reserve strategy to your growth, which would have been 
it may have been equivalent whether you trained a failure or not. And of course, training a failure at that point is not really training a failure relative to what you could you'll be able to do later on at, at times. The other thing that's I got asked this a long time ago, like, um, and it was about the time a lot of studies were coming out with failure versus non-failure training. It's like, well, it's like, well, do you really like in fortitude training? Do you really need to take like that last loading set to failure? Why not just stop, you know, there? Um, and my thought then, and it still is pretty much the same, is that um, you don't know really how many reps you have in reserve unless you've actually gone to failure. Yeah, you don't know and what the line is until you've. You don't know what the line it. is. Yeah, yeah. And I and I and I've heard from clients who've done fortitude training, um, and and the way like let's take that squat that that thigh example where it's quad or squats, knee extensions, squats, hamstring curl squats, um, and. I heard from people like, let's say they do, they got, they got it set up with, let's say 325. So you might, you might end up lowering the load over the course of those. You stick within a rep range of like six to 12 on those, on those sets. And you might end up lowering the load. So they might load it up, let's say with 325. So 245s and a 25, 25 each side. So they can pull down from 325 to 275. Um, just makes it convenient just to drop those quarters. So they stay in their rep range. So what, what might happen, and this is when people are first figuring these things out, if they haven't done a lot of training to failure, is they do their set of 315 and let's say they get nine reps, right? Um, and they think they could have gotten maybe 11. That's their sense of things. They're totally fine. Um, the next set, they uh, they drop, they, let's say they drop it to 275 because they want to stick about that. And, that, and then they get, they get eight reps, right? So we got like two minutes rest between these sets. So they're not fully recovered. So you're expecting some fatigue set by set. Um, and so they get nine reps. And then you keep going, you would expect fewer reps um, if they were, let's say nine reps, and let's say they think that was 11 rep set if they went to failure on that second one. So now they get to the third one, it's the same load, it's 275 again, and they go to failure. And what I would often see is like they don't get 11 reps, which would be more than you would expect because they're fatigued by – because this is their, their they're on their fifth set now in the sequence, they get like fifteen reps, right? Yeah, yeah, a lot more than they would have expected. So you would expect maybe maybe nine reps on that one. That's that's what I typically see with myself, and I expect like that's about normal. So you do the first one was nine reps, and the next one is nine reps, and those are two reps are the same weight. You're going down about you're, you're you're dropping down over some time, and and you would expect you're going to lose at least a couple reps with that same weight, 275, 275. So if I can, if I'm leaving two reps in reserve, um, on the first set with that weight, and on the last set I get, I get just that many reps. That means yeah, I probably had if I'd have left two reps in reserve, it would have been seven reps, but instead I got nine reps. That makes about sense. Which when you get 15 reps, it's like, oh, I was way underestimating. Yeah. So so that tells you. From that failure set, what you actually had in reserve hmm. on those previous sets. That's a great right? test. And it's something I think, yeah, it's, if you're newer and you're listening to this, that's a great way to to evaluate your your reps in reserve or, or you know, how many you're actually mm -hmm. doing, right? Mm-hmm. And yeah, and that is in, and actually in DC training there was there was sort of a psychological resetting involved because that was that was a, that's a system where all your working sets are to failure. <laughs> yeah. Right? The volume's relatively low on those working sets. You could, you can. There's some volume. There's a volume component by how you do your warm ups. Yes, that will vary substantially. 
basically. Um, but when you do those widow makers, yeah. So let's say it's a squat widow maker. There, what you're what you're doing is accumulating effective reps, and you're accumulating reps that are at the the one to two reps in reserve, or yeah. even the zero reps in reserve. You may, if you, when you stretch it out, if you're someone who's gotten really good at reps of, at, at DC training widowmakers, you may get four or five reps that are at zero reps in reserve. Yeah. Now, like, how can that be? Well, you're resting between, right? Right. If you try another rep, you could made your, your reps continuous, you would have failed. So that was a zero reps in reserve, unless you take a break, right? Yeah. So you do those every time you do squats or what have you. And now, you, now you've experienced knowing what it's like. If I try another rep, I'm not getting it. Yeah, you know this, and you get you get that, ex, which is exper- an experience that some people will never experience in their entire lives. Hmm. True. That's a shame. That's a shame. <laughs> it really is, man. That's that's what it's all about. <laughs> if you ask me, everyone should suffer in this regard. <laughs> yeah, but 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 it but it, the thing is, is that then you know, like, and this is what happens over the course of time. Learning how to do those these these widow makers is. When some when you first do them, like first it's just like I'm just gonna tr- shoot for 20 reps and like and you get them and you just stop like that's the way most people do. Yeah. They might do like 15 and do like five and they just stop. It's like no 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 you had like seven or eight more, right? Yeah. And over time you get used to feeling what zero reps reserve it and you make some mistakes. You're like um, you're trying to get up to those numbers so you maybe do 12 and you do then you do three more and then you do two more and then you try to do two more and then you just fail. Right. Like, ah, I shouldn't have gone for that second rep on that last <laughs> last section of my Widowmaker. I should have done a single rep and then rested. Yeah, yeah. Because you learn the next time. And that, that's what happens. And this is this is actually a great time for this effective reps notion, too, is the Widowmakers are totally effective. They also dig into your recovery reserves pretty substantially because your nervous system is whack. That's why Dante had those for compound moves for legs at the very end. Um, that's why Widowmakers are the last thing you do because you're basically shot. So yeah. You do biceps at the beginning of that workout, not at the end because your biceps would be, even biceps would be sort of beyond most people if they'd done the Widowmaker correctly. So eventually, you may not have even adapted necessarily, but your reps on your Widowmakers get better just because you know how to strategize doing those. Yeah, absolutely. And Big big Dave Smith, yeah. um, he did that pros versus pros squat thing. Um you yes. can find those old videos. Uh, and I think at that time he'd been doing DC training for like at least five years. So he had a lot of, and Dave just, I mean, his jujitsu experience, Dave knows, knows pain and effort, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and cardio stamina to, to boot, yeah. you know? Oh yeah. Of course he's got all that in his, in his favor. And Dave's just a, just a, he's a recovery freak anyway. Like guy's just amazing. Um, but you can get more reps just because you learn how to strategize the, the Widowmakers. So what happens then is you then know what your reps and reserve are, what your capabilities are. Um, problem I had is I started applying Widowmaker strategies to my non-Widowmaker sets <laughs> to get more reps. Hey, hey I but think you, we've all done that, you know. Oh, of I course. Think we all have. Everyone does it. You yeah. know, in, in fact, it's I think normal. that uh, here's what I've seen, too, is if I, if, you know, because a lot of times when I have a new client, when we're working on training together, I want to see video. And a lot of guys will pause every rep. They get on a leg press, a set of 10, they get one, and then they lock out and hold. 
and then they drop it down and get two and then they lock out and hold and they do that for their entire set and if i tell them hey mm -hmm. Let's focus on trying to get constant reps for as many as you can and we'll, you know, not increase the weight, might even have to decrease the weight. And instead, let's work to a point where we can get 10 constant reps. And that doesn't mean just buzzing through them. You're still using right. good, good, slow negatives, control technique. You know, I, I think that that in itself is a, a way to move forward. But um, yeah, I've seen that where guys are, that's all they do. You know, in fact, my knees mm -hmm will testify to the fact that I used to do that. It's the quickest mm -hmm. way to get joint injuries too, man, if if that's the only way yeah. you train pausing between each rep, you know? Yeah. And the thing we haven't touched upon is that not hmm. all quote-unquote effective reps are equal, so to, so to speak. Ah, uh, yeah, okay. You know, three or four reps shy of failure, that, that fourth rep, you know, before uh, the end of your set is not the same as that last rep. Yeah. Um, in terms of the likely the stimulus that it may provoke, um, is like in terms of what you're learning in your nervous system. So with the Widowmakers, it's like doing those zero reps in reserve repetitions yeah. are the ones where you really learn what maximal effort feels like and what it would feel like if you and learn by trial and error that another rep wouldn't 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 be possible. Yeah. Um, what may be going on there? Um, you know, this is a, this is a rabbit hole. To what extent is muscle damage, you know, important and necessary? Um, Obviously, you don't need to be have incredible muscle damage. There's a really nice study where they produced just as much muscle growth with a group that they they brought in very slowly. They gave them like three weeks of pre-training um, before like a regular 12-week training regime, mm -hmm. and they prevented the elevations. I think they measured CPK, creatine phosphokinase, which is an indicator of, of muscle um, injury. Mm -hmm. um, they prevented that, and at the end of the day, they added three more weeks of training, but the, the muscle growth was equivalent in the two groups. So they didn't have really any substantial elevations in CPK. Hmm. So they didn't have, you know, a traditional measure of muscle. So muscle damage isn't, isn't absolutely the end all be all. Um, but there's something going on potentially in terms of the stimulus when you've got that all out effort um, in the, in that last rep. And I think potentially involved with the nervous system learning how to drive greater efforts in the future. So there's an interplay between. So you may have a greater stimulus if if we extract back to that go-to study that I start off, where you literally are avoiding, you know, effective reps um, by interspersing in a ten-rep set a thirty-second break in between mm -hmm. the first five and the last five. Um, that would suggest that you know you're getting zero effective reps from each of those. If you go to seven seven reps, well, you might if. if if everything were a perfect world and we were, you know, humans were lab rats, you would see sort of this 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 continuum, whereby, you know, let's say you do um, sets of five with twenty seconds in between and ten seconds in between and then zero seconds, a straight set. You would see with thirty seconds no growth, twenty seconds you don't quite have the fatigue recovery. So that last set of five, you might get one effective rep in there, mm -hmm. and then when you do. 10 seconds, you might get two effective reps, and let's say, just using this term very generally, we do them straight, and then you get three effective reps. So you would see a dose response there. The The more fatigue and the more effort you have at the end of your set, the more effective reps and the more growth that would then produce. That makes so there sense. may be something going on there in terms of um, what's, what the muscle is experiencing in terms of a stimulus. Um, and what... I, what happens, and you, you see this um, when people are really pushing and they get that tremor, yes, you know, or you're or you're just you're pushing everything. You've got an, an all out, and and that I, it's one of the 
one of the things that probably contributes to muscle muscle damage is and this repeated bout effect is that your nervous system is trying to figure out what the hell's going on here. Mm. The first time you do an exercise that's novel, especially that are ex- with eccentric contractions, um, you get really sore. Um, and you actually see, for instance, a crossover effect in this. So you train um, the one leg doing eccentric only, and then if you and you look at the damage, and then if you train the other leg, which hasn't experienced anything, right? It's never undergone that that first bout. You do see a, 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 re, a repeated bout effect that crosses over to the un, previously un, unaffected, crap. untrained leg, which yeah. says that it's not in the muscle then at all. You know, or some not, of it not, is. Yeah, some not, of it. Some of it is not at yeah. all, but yeah, potentially. But some of it's in the nervous system. So yeah, something about those uncoordinated. And you, you see the same question example I always give is like let's say you're doing deadlift varieties. It's the easiest one, and you go from doing you know rack deads to now you do banded deads you know mm-hmm. and your reps and set schemes and reps everything's all the same you've just slightly changed the loading curve of the exercise mm-hmm. which means you in order to execute those you know to some degree similarly you have to have a different activation pattern and, you're, and your system has to figure that out so you've done you know months and months of rack deads with just the barbell and now you add chains and like you get really sore the first time yeah so my thought, my sort of theory is that something about taking those sets to failure is that the nervous system um, is getting a, a novel stress and it may not be um, totally uh, sure how to go about activating. It may have a somewhat uncontrolled, unregulated, less than smooth or optimized activation strategy um, yeah. because it's very complex what's going on amongst the motor units. Motor units are being turned on, turned off. Firing rates can can be um, – can, can be kind of um, intermittent to some degree, create mm. inner forces in certain motor units, and you've got shearing between fibers of different motor units. So you could create, if you have a, this happens with um, electrical stimulation, is like it's totally unlike what the nervous system does when it's activating motor units. It just turns them all, all the ones that are activated just turned on at the same, the same firing rate, whatever okay. you set the machine to do. Huh. And you get a lot of muscle damage when you do that. Okay. Um, uh, and that's a whole other whole other kind of side topic. But I think yeah. there's something potentially going on in those all-out efforts that are extraordinarily different where the activation strategy employed by the nervous system could be one that creates more muscle damage. Um, and for someone who already has whatever, whatever adaptations um, explain this repeat about effect, it may be that they need to have something new and novel and different in terms of activation that muscle that's already got the repeated about effect in place yeah only happens in that last rep or two before failure yeah okay all the other ones are easy that's that's stuff you're used to it's that last one when you're when you're really grinding that's the one where your nervous system isn't quite sure what the hell's going on um sometimes you can you can psychologically there's probably something going on you can sense the nervous system will just like kind of like you see people when they're when they're especially not good they're not good grinders they push and push and push and push and all of a sudden the weight just drops down it's like okay you, yeah. you gave up you know yeah. um, or you see but even with even with power lifters you've seen seen guys this happens all the time on a deadlift and they're just it's like total grinder right and yeah getting up they start to do this thing with the ball they're bouncing all over the place yeah that's inhibition hmm. right. That's that's motor inhibition going on. So like their their nervous system is like you're you're pushing and the and the and the the tensions are so high. In this case, 
tensions are different than maybe at the set of 10 because it's a one rep max for these right. guys or even beyond that they don't get it but your nervous system is trying to figure out what's going on in that last rep and i think that might be something that creates more muscle damage huh. eccentrics and damage in the right amount to the right degree turns on protein synthesis huh. and gives you that novelty of stimulus that that you may not be afforded if you're not taking your sets to failure yeah so once again there's there's this cool interaction between the nervous system and the muscle um that is that is that's happening in that magical moment of grinding out that last rep or trying to get that last rep that you, that you may not actually get because you fail. That's cool. I would love to explore this some more, uh, and it, and it's something honestly okay. for selfish purposes. I I I'm, <laughs> I I haven't gone into it, but after having gotten sick, my training has been different, and my ability to go to failure yeah. is different, and my response to going to failure has been different. I I could ask you a ton of questions, but I don't think it would apply to the majority of the audience, so I left that stuff out. But that said, uh, we did have a bunch of uh, comments and questions. If we could okay. shift our uh, attention to them, uh, number one, we had some uh, we had some celebrities in our industry with us. Nick Wary, competitive eater, is with us, and he made it. This is exactly what I was saying. The only people that truly know where the edge is are the ones that gone over it. Yeah, absolutely. That said, I don't think I want to be around when Nick goes past his edge in competitive eating. Cause I don't want to, I don't want to be there to see that, man. That's <laughs> yeah. That would be a mess. Yeah. And Rick Collins was with us too. He said, uh, the brain oh, wow. and brawn dudes, brain, brain and brawn yeah. dudes. That's cool. The man. Yeah. Rick's awesome. Glad Nick, glad Rick stepped in. That's badass. And we had some Nick and Rick. Yeah. We had some questions too. Um, Let's see. So some of this stuff may be affect or maybe related. It looks like some of it isn't. Um, Morton has one that looks like it's related. He says, um, do you think there is a minimum, maximum, or an optimal number of effective reps during a session or across a microcycle of training? Um, you could ask the same question about work sets done with zero to two reps in reserve. I assume it could be body part specific. Um, do you have any personal views on this? Leave that question up so I can kind of sure. look through it. Um, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. It's going to be so variable across people. Um, so, like I said, what constitutes an effective rep? Oh, thank you. Yeah. What constitutes an effective rep is going to vary depending on the person. It's also going to vary depending on the muscle. Um, I was thinking about this the other day. You like you, for instance, Scott. Your your calves are just world class, right? You don't really have to train. They don't train them, and yeah. whenever you have, they just get this crazy pump. They just like, they just you know, you've got this magical innervation <laughs> to your calves, and you know, it comes from you know probably your biomechanics and whatever it is led you to constantly walk on your toes when you're a, when you're a kid. Yeah. Um, so. You know, I saw I saw Flex Lewis put a video up. I think it was on Instagram. Okay. Um, and and it was like, and he, he, he basically, I laughed because you know he's being totally honest. He's like, so here's how, like, there's something. Like, here's how to train calves, but I don't train calves, <laughs> right? Because yeah. he doesn't. I don't think he does train calves. His calves are just crazy. That's just how they are. That's generally um, what I tell people too. I tell people what I see work for clients of mine and what I've seen work yeah. for others. You know. Right, right. So, for for some people, um, uh, they they could 
they, they have phenomenal growth, they have phenomenal adaptation, and they don't really have to worry about effective reps. Effective reps are just walking around. Yeah. Right? Um, and so he t- the question was about body being body part specific. And then on others, they may have to um, take – and calves are just a phenomenal example because of people having all sorts of this um, – levels of success with different regimes yeah so you may you may have to literally and this is a this is a limitation with the effective gosh sound like i'm pimping out my own concept now this this term i sort of pseudo coined here with effective time under tension but you may have to find out for you um what effective time under tension is and what effect what what effectively is the kind of tension that you need so Dante, once again, with so many things, was sort of ahead of his time in that he was – I lost, lost you. I blacked out. I hit a button okay. on accident. Um, okay. Um, in that DC training cab. Oops. I didn't hit that button. We lost Scott. He was talking about DC training calves. Oh, I see. I hear him in the background still. I didn't there he that. is. I didn't do I that. that. I froze. Sorry about yeah. that. Yeah, um, we we you said uh, we do something here. I think I know why that happened. Uh oh. All right. I was um, I was, I was shifted over to Facebook so I could read the questions. I'm going to just rely on you. Okay. So. Oh anyway, yeah. Yes, it's going to be body part specific, and DC training calves. Totally different. Way of, those those sets are taken to failure. So you're getting as many effective reps as you as you can, but you're outside the effective rep paradigm there, right? Okay. Um, this idea of doing partials at the end of a set, you know, what what I've what I suggested to, to clients, such the people mentioned in podcasts, um, is, and this is why I've set it up, sort of formalized it in in um, fortitude training this way, is when you're doing those pump sets, those would be auto regulated in a way where how you set up your pump set, how how and whether you do partials is going to be dependent upon you, right? So it could be that um, you don't have, you know, effective uh, effective reps per se, but you're shooting for effective number of partials or effective time under tension. And that being something you're trying to use to increase your, your stimulus. So what I've here, – here's something I've done. Um, this is just me being uh, – kind of crazy but i enjoy doing this is i would do rest pause sets this way and this works this works well actually for abs it can um, yeah. as long as you don't have breathing difficulties you don't get kind of claustrophobic because it can make you feel like you're gonna asphyxiate um it works for calves it works for, for exercises um actually you can use it for all i've done it with back before and, and rows but so one thing you can do like on a rest pause set where you're taking a DC training rest pause set is your, this is just one way to apply this. It's just the one that popped in my head. You're taking each of your sets to failure. So you would do a um, set of 12 to failure and then you take 12 breaths and then you might end up getting three reps to failure, take 12 breaths, um, two reps to failure, take 12 breaths. And then you do a, a, a extended partial, extended negative where you just lower the weight under control. Well, one thing that I have done with those um, to increase the effective time under tension, just to use that, 
terminology, is I would go and do that set. Make sure I do 11 reps. And you can logbook this. So you logbook 11 reps. And then my goal is um, is to do partials. And, I, and these are very, very short. Um, get into a, uh, a biomechanically and muscle from a muscle mind perspective good position for that exercise where I can really feel like I'm targeting the muscle. So if, if it's a like a, a row, it might be in the in the fully um, at the end of the range of motion or a fully contracted, shortened for the lats and try to double that count doing mm. partials. So 10, 11, or it might be 10 and then 11. And then I try to do one, two, three, four, five. I uh, try to do partials and, and count to 22. Okay. Yeah. That, <laughs> that might brutal. be another 10, 12 seconds. And then I take the 12, 15 breaths and then do regular reps. And let's say I get, let's say I get four. Yeah. Then I try to do eight partials with that one. Okay. Um, and only for, and then, and so you could, you can add effective reps that way for instance, <sighs> or effective time under tension that yeah. way. Yeah. Um, and still have some modicum of, monitoring your progressive order because that's how do you quantify that right? right those partials i would just use that double rule and you could make note whether you did or didn't feel like you know use a sort of you know be honest with yourself if you got those partials in there yeah and um so yeah there's there's going to be muscle groups that that where you have to focus on effective some muscle groups that just grow whatever you don't need to do any of that stuff you just stop a few reps in reserve and you progress and yeah. there might be others where you've got to increase the potency in ways like that, or, or this is why I have pump sets in in fortitude. And pump sets can just be higher rep sets with no partials. You don't have to do any of that craziness. Yeah, you just do sets of fifteen or sets of twenty because um, those that's a that's a rep range where you can produce muscle growth. So we've talked about my calves a bunch, but I never I never actually bring pictures up. So I I, I just grabbed one here. Boom! There's some some calves <laughs> for the day, <laughs> and that's through your tights. Yes, yeah, that's crazy. Yeah. All right. So we had a bunch more. We'll try to maybe jump through these as quick as we can. Um, right. I'll, be, I'll be brief. Keith, Keith says um, uh, most effective fasted cardio stack for fat loss, um, and he says, uh, and what are the benefits of oral alcar? I don't know. You could say the like most effective for fat loss. Like most effective, we use as, as much stuff as you can tolerate. You know, like that's kind of an unfair question. Um, yeah, I'm not even. I don't. I'm not even going to go there. That's a. That's kind of a loaded question. Um, the way I see it, because it's asking for a one size fits all yep. scenario, and I and I just I just can't. It'd be maybe a better question for um, drugs and stuff where we wouldn't necessarily tell him this is the answer. But I'll tell you what, actually, we recently did an episode that was about fat burners and we talked all Mm -hmm. about every fat burner and we talked about the different categories. Um, We didn't talk about L-carnitine, though. I mean, we could have added that in. That could have been a, you know, one to add to the topic. But, you know, anyway, I think it could be better suited for that. Yeah, here's a here's a just a quick anecdote, just like just because that would that would literally require and you could do an entire episode like you guys did on that. Yeah, is some people don't tolerate you know, him being with ephedrine very well, like me. Um, years and years and what's that? Like me? 
It's you. Yeah, Q, yeah, right. There was uh, someone who, I think she was on a news group, maybe, and she went to the hospital. No, she was a oh, wow. client of a, a, yeah. She'd been taking, uh, um, I think, ephedrine, and then she added to him being and tried to do cardio. Yeah. And it, she freaked out. She had to go to the hospital. Hmm. She started losing her shit. So, yeah, that's that's just too, um, that's just too cookie cutter to, to know. Pete says, um, I had a motorcycle accident 20 years ago. I'm 63, and I've been doing 15 to 20 rep sets since. Um, but lately, I started shaking about halfway through my workout. Should I change my workout to lower reps? I would talk to a physical therapist. He seems like he's connecting the motorcycle accident yeah. um, with, with why he's shaking. So he knows... There's something going on there. I would imagine that lower reps, meaning higher weight, could actually make things worse. Yeah, I would um, think so too. But I don't know what happened with this motorcycle accident. Did he have a spinal cord injury? You know? Um, yeah. Did he have a concussion? No idea. There's just way too much in there. Or is it completely um, unrelated? Like, is he not getting enough hydration in lately, and he's been dehydrated? Is you know what I mean? There's there's a lot of stuff. Right it's hard yeah. to say but i get what you're saying it sounds like he is for sure connecting it and if so i mean yeah. is there some sort of nerve thing or something that's not something that we could really uh get into if he's um, if he's connected with this topic though like he's shaking during his workout i assume he means like during those sets yeah and if he's meaning lower his reps like just stop when he starts to shake oh um maybe that's what where he's going with that i'm just trying to figure out how he was thinking from the context yeah that um, could be it yeah, I mean, it, it could be that he's got some, some sort of neuralgia going on or some sort of neuropathy. He says, um, I'm thinking I'm killing my nervous system. Okay, yeah. It sounds like if if he thinks that, you know, it's time for a deload, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, but if it's related to his known a known injury from his motorcycle wreck, then, you know, um, talk to a, you know, a, a medical professional and see what's what's possibly at play there. Uh, Jonathan asked, are there any apps that we would recommend for the purpose of essentially having a logbook? I've been using GE fit, get fit, um, app, which tracks workouts pretty well. But for example, I created my own fortitude training split routine within the app and my working set days, weight and reps get saved. And then my muscle round days sets are saved and erase the workout sets. So it kind of defeats the purpose. Um, do you use any kind of app, Scott, or you just write it down on a notepad? I just I just write it down on a notepad. Yeah. Um, I like to have minimal phone. I usually like to listen. I use my, my watch for my MP3 prayer, basically. Yeah. I like to leave my phone away. Um, I, I looked, like there was, I'm trying to think what it was. There was, um, there was an app that I tried out. It's hard to get things set up that, that work well for fortitude training because the different set types and like with pump sets, you could do reverse 21s. You could do fives into the hole. You could do a set of 12 with, you know, try to double the partials. Like I mentioned with that rest pause idea, there's all sorts of things you could do. And, you know, there's not it's so much easier to write that down on your own. Um, yeah. So I, I, I'm not a big fan of, of phones while training at all. Um, become oh, yeah. a, um, come a bit of a smombie. Oh, what? You hear that term? A zombie. No. You heard that term? No, yeah, what is smartphone that? Smartphone zombie. Smartphone oh, zombie. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah. I got gotcha. you. seen the zombies in the gym. They're just like, uh, 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? All right. Well, that's all we got for you guys. Um, but listen, if you have any questions that you want to throw in for the next show, then definitely comment below. We can always use some good questions and topics. We'd love to uh, to come back and do some more stuff. And I hope this helps everybody. I think that my take-home point for the day is remind yourself this week what going to failure is. Remind yourself, redefine it. And therefore, if you want to do reps and reserves after that, at least you'll know you know, an updated version of what failure means, right? Yeah, yeah. Just just be honest with yourself. If you don't want to go to failure, then like that makes perfect sense, you know? But if it's the thing that's missing from producing progress, then throw it in there in, a, in an amount that, you know, you're willing to put up with, Yeah. right? Some people see their personal trainer like once a week, right? Yeah. Um, they can't afford it or whatever, and the personal trainer, they train harder mm-hmm. um, with that personal trainer. It like, sets the bar. Someone... Of course, right. Yeah. They don't want to go in every time because they don't want to train that hard. Yeah. Right? Or they, don't have to, or they don't need that or whatever. So, yeah, add it in the right right dose that matches matches your psychological makeup. Yeah. So. B-Y-O-P-T. That's Scott's new book. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. Right. Uh, that's not out yet, but you can go to B-Y-O-B-B.com and you can check out Scott's book, Be Your Own Maybe Bodybuilding Coach. coach. Yeah. Or you go to Amazon, you get the hardcover. I'll be sure to have links to that, both of those things, in the description, um, as well as you can reach out to Scott for uh, consultations. You know, he's, Scott's always yes. doing consultations with people. So mm-hmm. if you want to dig into something deeper, he's the man to turn to for stuff like that. You can reach out to me for coaching. I'll have my contact and Scott's information down below. And of course, check out our sponsors, truenutrition.com. Uh, like I said, man, Scott, I'll tell you, man, I've been using their creatine again. I forgot. Mm-hmm how great of a supplement creatine is and hadn't been on it for a while huh well and when i had i had been on the good stuff you know the 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 private stock the uh the the ugls and what whatever else Uh so you know i had used creatine obviously early on when it first came out and then beyond Mm -hmm. that i would still take it while i was training on gear and it was a lot of times in my pre-workouts anyway uh, but now I just mm-hmm. went back on it 10 grams uh, a day. I mix it in my coffee if I'm not training. I'll take it pre-workout mm-hmm. if I am training. And I can see the difference in my pumps and my overall muscle fullness, uh, just the way my mm-hmm. clothes feel. It's definitely, it's crazy because having it as a control now, right? Because I'm not, on, I'm not yeah. on any kind of cycles or anything. It, it, you can see the difference. You, know, you can feel the difference mm-hmm. too. So it's kind of cool to see that, you know? Did you weight jump up a little bit? Did you? I haven't been weighing myself. Yeah, I haven't been weighing myself. Yeah, I would guess minimally a couple pounds, two three pounds maybe though. And um, yeah, and and one of the other reasons is the 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 studies that have been done about improving cognitive function, especially with the aging brain. Mm -hmm. So I think it's only going to be beneficial for for me uh, to stay on creatine as I age. You know? Yeah, yeah. And people, there's a um, creatine phosphokinase shuttle. Okay. That uses utilizes creatine phosphate as a molecule because it can diffuse more quickly um, across across the fluid in the, the in the cytoplasm of the cell. So you've got various isoforms of creatine phosphokinase that are located throughout the, the cell, and basically it's sort of like um, uh, you can you can load the high energy phosphate energy into creatine phosphate and let it. With the creatine phosphokinase, so it takes ATP, converts it into creatine phosphate. Creatine uh-huh. phosphate then moves its way across the cell, and then where where ATP is needed, the creatine phosphate is then converted back to ATP, 
and then ATP is used oh, for interesting. whatever, all the processes. Yeah, so you've got different CPK isozymes throughout in the nervous the cells, of the nervous system as well. Um, huh. Yeah, it happens in, in skeletal muscle too. But so creatine isn't, it's not just like, you know, more creatine phosphate, you know, bigger store for that phosphogen source of energy for sprints and what have you. Yeah. It's also important as a, as a diffusion, a means of diffusing high energy phosphate bonds from from one place to another so it'll it'll move things across the cell based on where they're being used so it creatine phosphate will go down its diffusion gradient to where it's needed and then can be converted to atp to be used so it's okay it's a pretty it's a pretty badass little molecule creatine for creatine phosphate. 25 30 bucks you can get a big old bag of it from true nutrition which you know i'll take that order that up with my collagen and everything else and like i said in the morning i'll mix it into my coffee now along with the collagen and it's completely flavorless, mm-hmm. so it doesn't it doesn't make a difference. It's not like I have to, like, you know, ch- choke <laughs> it down nasty. or yeah, exactly. Right, so right. I'll take that. Yeah. Um, of course, check out supplementsource.ca for our Canadian folks, and thank you to everybody from Patreon. Um, we have a thread running right now, taking questions for the next shows. Comment mm-hmm. over there if you're from Patreon um, with shows for muscle or questions for muscle minds, and we will definitely tackle them the next time that we are together. Scott, as always, man, it's been a pleasure. This was fun. Thanks, brother. Thank you. And see you guys. Thanks for watching on the live stream.